0: must be I have a photograph Preserve your memories They're all that's left you She hurt When he hurt She changed When he changed She fell in love with him As he fell in love with her But she was still Another man's reason For coming home and they're saying that I don't belong over there! Bobby, when you're shouting at me. No. It's very
1: scary for me. No. Maybe it's not gonna work out with him. No. She's here because she loves you. It's true what he's saying, Bob. Don't tell me that, damn it.
0: Jane Fonda, John Voigt, Bruce Dern. No. In a Jerome Hellman production. No. Coming home. This is the Master of Cinema cast. My name is Joachim. And um, my name's Tom. And this is episode 67, where we'll, we'll, where we'll, we'll be discussing Hal Ashby's Coming Home, um, 1978 film. The only other films I've seen of Hal Ashby is Harold and Maude, of course, which is in the collection, and the very much underrated Being There.
1: Yeah, I've seen uh, The Last detail as well, um, the Jack okay. Nicholson film, which yeah, I yeah. really enjoyed. But um, he's a director which I, I mean, he's got a really few films in his filmography. And it's, it's one of those where I've only gone with the, the kind of the standouts like they oh, I've seen Bound for Glory as well. Um, mm. But yeah, he's got quite a few films in there. And I've never really kind of deep dived into him all that no. much. Um, and it seems like I should because he does seem to be a really interesting filmmaker.
0: From what I've, I did like some background research on him before we started and it seems like his period was really the 70s and before the 70s he worked as an editor on the Thomas Crown Affair, which I have a really soft spot for, I have to be honest, and also the, um, in the, what's it called, In the Heat of the Night, where he worked as an editor as well. Yeah, uh, I think after being there in like the 80s he... Didn't really get anything going, uh, sadly, ever again due to drug issues and conflict with different producers.
1: I think he's as new Hollywood as his new Hollywood could be. Very much. And um, it doesn't really surprise me that he kind of filtered out into. I think in those days it was kind of quite common, wasn't it? If you're a director, it was either you were um, you were a massive arsehole or a massive arsehole on drugs. And it <laughs> seems that he was, uh, you know, succumbed to some of his demons, which kind of put the. Uh, the block of his career but i sometimes think directors like that i don't think they could have survived it outside of the new hollywood area mm. um certainly you see so it's like william Freakin, for example i know he kind of carried on making films but they never quite had the control and the projects during that period that they had after and i think a lot of people i mean michael cimino is another one isn't it you know who was just given endless amounts of money and it kind of you know he 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 ends up with he- Heaven's Gate, and that's kind of it for him. And I think I think there's a few of them who had yeah. that type of career trajectory.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it feels like they they live and breathe on the the creative freedom. But um, when you come to the 80s, the money becomes such an important aspect of filmmaking, and being able to um, rein in some of your some of your ideas.
1: Well, the 80s was the producers era wasn't it it was the age mm. of brockheimer and yeah. uh, you know don simpson and all that kind of thing and it was you, you go from new hollywood which is all about the auteur and the director and the writer and then you sort of come back into kind of the studio product time of the 1980s mm. and uh, yeah it was, a ve- it was obviously a very different time but that's in that time obviously in the 70s i mean i it, I, I can say with some confidence that the 70s is my favorite era Mm. Film American cinema, then I don't think has ever been as good as it was then, and that's when you have these interesting projects like
0: Coming Home being made. Mm. This film that we are talking about today, it was produced by Jane Fonda's production company, Indo China Peace Campaign, which uh, kind of makes you uh, aware of where this film is going to go or what approach it is trying to take. This is, uh, from what I understand, this is a first film as a producer.
1: As I yeah, as I understand, and I think like, I think yeah the the, uh, the the name of the production company is obviously an extremely good um, pointer as to what this film is going mm. to be about, and I, I think it's probably worth saying from the off that it surprised me the first time I ever saw Coming Home, just how much it wears its heart on its sleeve. This is not yeah. a subtle film in the least.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh- I think the thing I was struck with was how like earnest and how brave it is without feeling preachy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it's the distillation, isn't it? Of Jane Fonda's politics and career. I mean, let's not forget that Jane Fonda was a massively divisive figure during the Vietnam war. Um, She, I mean, she actually visited Hanoi, and I know in later life that was something she did actually apologise for. But I, I, th- I think that, in of itself, is such a huge thing to have done, and mm-hmm. you can imagine the absolute outrage that mm-hmm. it caused. Especially, I think there was—I think there was, she was rather famously, wasn't she? She was pictured posing next to an anti-aircraft, is either a, a gun or a, or a missile battery or something like that. Mm. And for her, I mean, for a lot of people, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that she even made it back into the country, to be brutally honest with you. <laughs> me. I mean, if it was Donald Trump, she would have been banished for good, would she not? And mm. there, there was no way that coming home could have been made during the war. There was absolutely, I, I think it would it'd be inconceivable that she would have yeah. been able to get this project over the line and i think the fact it's made when it's made when you have got some distance from the conflict and from the time that obviously she was going to hanoi to the time this we then had things like the pentagon papers um that showed that the people who were the biggest advocates of the war actually knew from the off that it could never be won and in a way and i'm not saying it kind of justifies the trip to hanoi and all that kind of thing but it does in a way I think, justify her advocacy a lot more than if it had come out at the time. I think in a way there's this form of time has mm-hmm. vindicated her by the time this film has come along. Mm. And it, I, 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 I actually think its strength, I mean, we, we say it kind of wears its heart on its sleeve and it's, it's, it's very upfront and earnest. And I actually, for me, I think that's part of the appeal for it for me. I, I don't think, sometimes you don't have to be subtle there's mm-hmm. no need to be subtle and be, and not and being very upfront and blatant about what you're trying to achieve isn't necessarily a bad thing if I think it's done in the way that they do in coming home.
0: Mm. And I think that credit must go um, quite a bit to Hal Ashby. From from what I can gather, the the film was in production or it was in like um, in the making for a couple of years before he got on board, and he made more of a love story than it was it was more of an like an anti-war film uh, at the point when he came on inspired by i think most of it was inspired by Rankovich of the born of fourth july fame and his friendship with jane Fonda, and from what i can gather hal ashby brought that more humane aspect of the the lover triangle
1: yeah like, and I, I think his direction sort of grounds the film yes um it's not if it, is, it, is, it is a stylized film, obviously. I mean, it has a mm-hmm. certain look to it. Um, I'm not, obviously, like I said, I'm not hundred percent familiar with Hal Ashby's filmography, but he lets scenes play out. I think very naturalistically, and he allows these people to kind of be human in a lot of the scenes. And I mm-hmm. think we talked about it slightly off air, but I think for me, the kind of the, the plus points of the film is is that he doesn't like worship the characters, especially. The John Voight character, because uh, Luke, because mm. he actually shows his disability, and he doesn't kind of like say this guy is you know stick him up on a pedestal for being disabled. Isn't he mm. worthy? Because he shows you the down and the dirtiness of mm. his disability. Like his first reaction with his first interaction with Sally, sorry, like he's um, he's got a bag of urine that's full, and it sort of really crashes into it and it falls on the floor, and he's he, he able, he's, he's able to show them as humans as not as these kind of um sanctified characters and i think for me that that really helped get involved in the film and get into these
0: characters absolutely i mean he's very much interested in the the internal struggles of each of the characters and that humanizes them so much more than them being like poster characters for for a, a cause or for something that they want to, like a message or something. You have really the feeling that they are going to, through their own internal struggles. And that is most, most of the film for me is about these, how these different characters sort of mirror each other or are opposites of each other and how they become, uh, innate, they become like vehicles for each other's transformations throughout the film, which I yeah. find really interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I think for me it starts with Sally because when we first sort of come across her, she's an army wife and she doesn't seem to be that political. She's sort of she's the kind of stay at home wife who's just, you know, a career military husband and she's just sort of generally supportive in a way and it's when she goes to work at the hospital which he's kind of like the, the husband's kind of completely against really which seems quite strange to me but it kind of shows the fact that you know her job I suppose in their relationship was just to be the dutiful wife and yeah. this is obviously set in a time set in the 1960s where you kind of got like the women's liberation movement going on and she has this moment of liberation i think it's kind of like society socially and mentally when she goes to work in the hospital mm. and she suddenly sees the fact that there, there is this other side to the war it's not just about the sort of the guys going off in their pristine uniforms it's mm. men literally having to go around on on beds kind of propelling themselves because there's not enough wheelchairs for them to get around and yeah. it, it very quickly she wises up to what's going on and like you said it's it's very interesting because she becomes the luke character becomes like a a, a kind of a cipher for her to become politically aware to become more kind of forthright in how she thinks politically and Mm. it also becomes a way for him to sort of begin his journey from being this bitter kind of angry cripple i mean there's a few really really touching scenes where he kind of he, he makes comments about, I think he calls himself a flit or something like that. He makes comments about his disability in a kind of derogatory way. And then mm. it, she allows him to sort of grow into this kind of, like the Ron Kovach type of person.
0: I mean, uh, before we get into the characters, just briefly, we can say that it, this uh, film deals with the Vietnam War during the late 60s, from what I can gather. I think yeah, it's only 68. a couple of days or something. Like it. It seems like a very short, brief period that this is uh, trying to. Uh, yeah,
1: it's try, not. Uh, it's not, um, an overview of the war. It, I think it's actually set in nineteen sixty eight, and, and which yeah. was which was a time when, I mean, nineteen sixty eight. Anything from sort of nineteen sixty six onwards, when you're talking about the Vietnam War, this is the end, really. I mean, nineteen sixty eight was when there was the, I think it was nineteen sixty eight. The Tet Offensive had begun, and it was really then that. I think the game people were beginning to realize that -hmm. the game was up that there was nothing really that could be done and i know sort of behind the scenes um the in in sort of the wheels were turning as to sort of like not how are we going to win the war but how are we going to get out of the war that was Mm. the kind of the prime um the, the prime rationale thinking but in 1968 i mean you've literally got i think it was in the region of about between 200 and 300 americans getting killed a week so this was at the height of, you know, really the sort of the pe- people going. And it, it, you've also got... It's a pivotal moment in American culture because you have all those kind of hippie ideals and it's beginning to unravel. Yeah, People were beginning to realise that, you know, nothing really is going to change. It's quite a nihilistic, I think, depressing time in history.
0: And, Absolutely, yeah.
1: And I, and I, I think the film... Obviously, because it's got ten years, and it's not, it's not being made at time. And I think that that ten year gap between the the time that's being depicted and the time the film is is crucial to coming home because it yeah. I, that having that overview. I, I think there's an air of realism about it in the, way, in the way in which the characters are behaving, although they don't obviously know when they're set what what's going to happen with the war. I think it captures that sense of uselessness about it all and it Mm -hmm. starts to ask questions well what are we going to do with all these people who are coming home so injured and broken and you know what 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 impact is this going to have on society and i think that's why coming home i think it merges its place in history really well
0: i mean in some ways you could argue that the film is made from the perspective of the um of how uh, luke the character ends up like he the, the film is it comes across as Reflective as someone who has maybe gone through that rage period, but understands that this is much more nuanced than an either-or discussion. This is such a complicated issue, and I think making this film in uh, '69 or '70 or whatever, it it would have there's much more danger for it being like, and this is right or this is wrong. I don't feel like Coming Home. One of the strengths of Coming Home is that for me, it doesn't really profess to have an answer it just makes you reflect on what is really going on here and how uh, how is this affecting the lives of human beings
1: yeah well there is no answer i think that's exactly. the, i think i think that that's the problem i mean the, the film i mean i the, the have you ever seen the very first vietnam film the green berets mm-hmm. the john wayne film
0: oh long long time ago I, think. I
1: mean that was made in 1968 i mean and it's it's almost unwatchable it's so ridiculous Hmm. And, and, and it's I mean, it is actually partly financed by the CIA. You know, I yeah. mean, it, it was it was designed to sort of show and you, and you see that film and it's so black and white. You know, we are the good guys. They're the bad guys. You know, and if you're not with us back home, then you, you, know, you might as well be one of the bad guys type kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because with coming home. You sort of get these it, it's that it's that first wave of the reflective Vietnam film the tragedy of it speaks for itself. And I think it's always very careful when you talk about Vietnam films to sort of remember that obviously it was absolutely awful what mm. happened to all those American soldiers, but yeah, you know, let's, let's not forget the millions of people that died in Vietnam, you know, Cambodia and whatnot. Afterwards there was the, the, the whole tragedy of it is you know beyond just the American experience. I don't think coming home gets that geopolitical. I think it's more of a kind of, it's more about the American experience, obviously, but it, I, I think for me, the the John Voigt character Luke. I mean, he literally becomes it, then, but he is the warning of mm. what this conflict is and who it affect and and how it turned him from being this sort of you, know, you can imagine him. But I mean, he's the quarterback, isn't he? He's the all American boy. He's mm. the you know the football kid who goes off and then comes back in this condition, and he, he goes then to become this advocate and to try and stop people from really falling for the kind of jingoism that you have in the Green Beret. It's like the mm-hmm. tonic to that film. This is the other side of it.
0: Mm. I mean, his characters from early meeting him, you feel like he comes across as someone who is, who, he feels betrayed. He feels guilt from his actions. Um, he feels, he comes across as very much afraid and deeply alone. And I have this feeling that all of these people that we are shown, they are, All affected by the war in some way or another and they're all in search of some sort of comfort or connection between humans and the the want to like feel a togetherness and the love which is very much in line with that more hippie aspects of the culture but you feel like these are aspects that are they are important to sort of suppress when you're in a war. You can't really have a humane war or an like a, a loving war. You have to be disconnected. You have to enter like this unhuman, unnatural state. And I feel like that is where Luke, the character, is when he comes back home. And his meeting Sally is sort of a a portal into that entering society, entering the, the love aspects of so of uh, culture.
1: The Vietnam veteran in film tends to be, obviously, a very broken person. I'm thinking of like, like Cutter's Way, um, even mm. through to sort of like Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. I mean, that, that's, that's who I was thinking of when I was, mm-hmm. I was watching the film. It's certainly kind of his sort of journey kind of mirrors that. And it's, yeah, coming back to society where you you've been to war and this isn't world war two either this isn't i mean um i've just finished watching ken burns's series about um, the war the second world war mm. and what's really interesting about that is you have these veterans who come home who despite the kind of the horrors of what they've been through they all seem to realize deep down that it was entirely necessary mm-hmm. and i think and they come home and a lot of them you know, had people waiting for them when they got back. Um, they could kind of quite sort of go back into getting married, having kids, and sort of getting on with their lives to a degree. Obviously, some of them, you know, they, no doubt they carried around the, a lot of trauma with them. But in the Vietnam War, it takes, and especially in films, you don't have that because you don't have the victory parade. And mm-hmm. there is a kind of, I mean, right at the start of the film, you see... Yeah, that's the call. opening, opening yeah, and discussion. The, and they're sort of, I mean, that's the film goes straight into it. You know, what what, yeah. what really is the point? And there isn't sort of, you know, by this stage in the war, you know, it was being heavily, in 96, you know, there was massive press freedom during the coverage of it. And a lot of reporters were going out there and just saying, well, you've got, you know, I went out on patrol today everything and all they did was burn a village and then that was it and then they went back mm. the next day and things and there's no sort of clear cut point to it and it has that sense, I think, the kind of the spirit, like if you're going to go and do something and give so much and become crippled, you want to at least think that it was for a greater good. Luke mm. doesn't have that. His sort of motivation for his for becoming the way it is is because he doesn't want other people to end up like him. He doesn't have the kind of the the fulfilment of knowing it was for a point, and that does leave this kind of massive grey area that you see in coming home, where mm-hmm. it's like, like you said, they're desperately trying to find some connection to humanity to kind of get through and push on, and that's completely lacking. And yeah, it, it's. I mean, it, it, I, th- I think it's what makes it quite quite hard to watch at times. But I don't think that hard to watch in the fact it's so distressing. But it's you sort of watching it, sort of knowing. I think you, you can really. what well, I mean, if you can actually really empathize with him, and you can see the frustrations of him trying to get back to normal in this
0: world. Yeah, and also the fact that the the like the structures around the military, it isn't really built for dealing with these men coming back home. There's no like supportive system. There's no real physical. Mm, like caretaking institutions when they are coming back home, there's no mental help for them. So, no, you, I mean, you
1: see that scene where he's been sedated and they just tied him to the gurney, yeah, exactly. And he's being such a pain in the eye, it's like, shut up, you know. I mean, um, I know the sort of the mantra at the time was act normal and everything could be normal, mm. which you know, obviously, now with what we know now and how you deal with post marriage, stress, that's a shocking thing to prescribe someone,
0: yeah. And his uh, his relationship with um, with Sally is basically a way for him to turn his anger and his guilt away from himself and focus it towards the war i mean he's really angry with himself of uh, with himself of the things he's done in the war but he feels guilt with it as well so it feels like through uh, through her he's able to get another perspective in and feel like um he's able to excuse himself and forgive himself and turned towards the state uh, they are the ones that did this to me
1: well again it's the, it's the awakening isn't it because she yeah. sort of goes from the sort of the dolty sort of middle you know the housewife and then sort of begins to become aware he becomes aware that there's more to this than just sort of sitting around feeling sorry for himself hmm. and i mean there's the brilliant scene I, I really liked it when he sort of got the when the guy commits suicide and you just see him like wrapping a chain around himself and you're thinking oh yeah you know, he's going to try and commit suicide or something like that and he's He's not, he's actually going down to the barracks to chain himself to the fence to stop other people from joining up to sort mm-hmm. of make, you know, to try and become, uh, you know, to try and make a political point. And it was a, I think it was a really good scene because I thought I was going you know, he's gonna go and top himself here. And, mm. you know, that, that's gonna be, you know, we're going down that route. And that's what I really liked about the character. He's like, he's, he's, he's it's the kind of a journey of his, his, his sort of mental strength. He might have lost you know, his, his ability to use his legs, but he's like, right, you know, I'm going to kind of channel this anger and rage into something far more positive now.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the relationship between, like, more um, or less about the, like, the awakening aspects of their relationship and more about the, just the human um, loving relationship that they have, There there is an emotional tenderness there which feels... It feels so genuine. I mean, it's not often that I watch a relationship on screen that that strikes me as something, like, real.
1: Yeah, but and, I mean, t- to go on that, I, I I normally, I'm not a prude or anything like that, but I normally really don't like sex scenes in films. They, mm-hmm. they, nev- they never, I, I always think they're fairly terrible and pointless. And, and this scene, and this film does have one, which I actually think was really... One, it was actually quite necessary for the yeah, film. exactly. And two, I think it was really well handled when he's like, you know, she's asking him what he can feel and asking him what he likes and all mm. that kind of thing. And like you said, it, yeah, I, I totally believed that they, I believed in the sensuality of the scene, totally. Mm-hmm. And also that, yeah, like you said, like the tenderness and the fact, you know, they were going, she was going to so much trouble to try and please him with his disabilities and he's sort of like saying what he likes yeah i I thought it was a really beautifully handled scene yeah
0: it feels like an evolution of them getting to know one another and not just an excuse to show their naked bodies which we we talked about three days of the condo not too long ago and that that comes across as the opposite of this one
1: yeah i mean yeah in that it's like um right hang on we need to kill kill (laughs) five five minutes of plot right okay well we'll have them having sex Brings yeah. Her. well yeah like i said and it goes back to the sort of the sympathetic and the realistic way in which you you are portraying him being a paraplegic hmm. like and like, like we said this isn't like it shows you what it means to be a paraplegic yeah you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts of it you do have a bag of piss that fills up and you don't know it fills up and it spills out on the floor you know having sex is completely different to how it used to be and it, yeah i, I that's what, one of the things i really liked about it because it, it doesn't gloss it up it shows this is what it is this is what you know you you can imagine how awful it must be and to you know to be in that situation but Mm. you again and it's not a film i think that wallows in his disability it's almost like um the the theory of everything that's a good example of a film where it doesn't show disability as this sort of awful horrendous depressing thing all the time it actually says right this is part of someone's life this is how they get around it and Mm. this is how they kind of continue and coming home kind of does this it shows him you know he's able to go from the the gurney at the hospital to being able to drive to putting ramps in his house to having some kind of you know sex life as it were and and Mm. i'm not saying it's like a positive you know disability is a positive thing but in the context of the film i think it handles it incredibly sympathetically and mm. I think that again that comes down to kind of Hal Ashby's eye really and sort of seeing possibly another story in the
0: Yeah. Um and it also feels like the, the relationship that they are building in the film, it's not necessarily one for the ages. I mean, it doesn't feel like this is an an epic love story of two people who are destined to be together. It feels like they are connecting and they need each other f- at that point in time. But there also is an understanding that this is not necessarily something that we will continue when her husband returns from war.
1: It doesn't feel like a seedy affair. No. That's why, I, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's a it's a relationship for a time and a place. Mm. Um, that And you, you can imagine like, well, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it, but um, yeah, when Bruce D- Dern does return, but yeah, you get to it that these two people know it is what it is for the time that it is and like like we said before they're 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 helping each other through what is a remarkably awful situation
0: Hmm. um bruce stern's character we talked about how he didn't want uh sally to uh, to work um and i feel like that is his way of protecting protecting his own world uh, of protecting her uh, from what he's going to go through and his understanding that this is not going to be something that she he doesn't want those two lives to to mesh you know he wants them separate and her going to work um, at a at a VA hospital it is his well that kind of introduces her to his life and he doesn't really want that he wants to protect that sort of the American way, the, the 50s image that he has of a of a married life. It feels to me, at least. Yeah, I think he's a
1: tremendously naive, crack character. Yeah. I think it's like, I'll go off to war. Everything could be fine. I'll come back a hero. It'll just be another ordinary war. You stay here. You know, you, you just sort of do as wait I say. Me. Yeah, <laughs> you, you just wait for me, dutifully do your bit, and I'll come back. And I think, obviously, because, I mean, this is obviously a, it's a very, I think it's a very feminist film. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Certainly, and it, it's you know Jane Fonda's character isn't that type of person at all. You know, and when she does start seeing the world as it is and seeing it for what it is, you know, it, it, she's able to recognize in his when he comes back and he's so you know brutalized by it all, it, she's able to recognize the mechanisms to get him help that she wouldn't have had had he had come back. I mean, it's highly likely that he you know she it would have been an even worse situation. I mean, we'll get to his you know, get get to that, but. He's the person that John Voigt is basically trying people not to think like.
0: I mean, when he comes home, I, I can't help but sympathise a bit with him in that he is a man who is betrayed by a country and a war that he, he based all his beliefs on. And he's betrayed by his wife, he's betrayed by a fellow veteran who is now paraplegic. I mean, how emasculating it must have been for him coming home. And his failing to cope with that return to his, uh, to his life and leaving, like leaving his wedding ring that he said he would never take off and disappearing into the war. So we don't know what's happening with him, but you can feel that he is a man who is deeply suffering from PTSD
1: it's it's a really good I mean it's, I think it's a great performance as well by Bruce Dern I think he really he, he does sell this guy like you totally believe the anger and like there's just that awful bit I, I can't remember what he's shouting now but it's something he, he's shouting like, I'm fucked up or something like that but he's having this mm-hmm. sort of breakdown in front of them yeah you just feel nothing but complete pity for the guy Mm. Um, it's it's an awful scene to watch, actually. You know, really, really, the sort of the drama that it kind of creates as well when he has that obviously that stash of weapons that he's been sending home to himself. Mm-hmm. And you sort of see him kind of going, and it's as far, it's, it's as close as the film gets to sort of, I suppose, I, I, I had a, I, I was worried it was going to turn into a shooter type of a film to be brutal, for the first time I ever saw it. But, you know, it, it doesn't go, go there. And again, there's just that, that scene where they're trying to sort of talk him down and get him round. Mm. And,. He is what Luke could have become as yeah. well. I think that's very important to know.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, um, his role is obviously the showier role of the three. And admittedly I'm I'm not the biggest Stern fan and I feel like it could have perhaps gained something from being reined in a little bit. I find him just a little too like wooden and out of touch from the rest of the movie and the rest of the characters, his acting style, his persona is really quite particular. And even before he went to war, he was, he came across as quite like neurotic. And I feel like even if he didn't go to war, he would have gone Still full leather jacket. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I Br- Bruce turns one of those where I never think of, I, when he's kind of like a leading man in things, mm. I, I I'm, I'm not sure he's ever sold a film for me. I've, mm. I've always, you know, I, and I know what you mean. I think he does kind of, he, he's a little bit too on the crazy side, but I, I think this is, it's good because he's the kind of character in these films who, he, he should be getting the heroic scene and the, it never cuts to him in Vietnam, like out in the fighting and, you know, being heroically brave. Mm. It, which possibly might have helped it. I don't know, but it sort of comes back. I mean, I could never work really work out if his wound was self-inflicted as well, or mm. it really was just an accident. And he sh- accidentally shot himself in the... There's that scene, isn't there, where he's like getting the medal and all that kind of thing, and it's it, there's a sort of a, a, a... I'm not quite sure what is going on with him a lot of the times, and I find with sort of Bruce Dern, in this I thought he was great, because I, th- I, 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 I actually quite like the fact that he's sort of... He does they don't try and make him out to be the perfect person who suddenly goes over there and he comes back and everything's gone hideously wrong for him i like the fact that he's, he kind of comes across as you know just kind of a stiffy kind of hmm. yeah you, you, you're Joe your average husband and then sort of returns you know slightly slightly more broken I, I i did feel that i felt bruce stern made me feel very sorry for him i know that much
0: There is a concept in uh, psychology, which is within the Jungian psychology, which is like the concept of shadow, um, which is where shameful characteristics of oneself, um, characteristics you're taught by society or your parents from early on um, to be ashamed of. And then you later project those characteristics onto an external other, Um, for example, that anger is something you should never be. So you, you project that anger onto others and then you can react to it. Um, and it feels like this film sort of deals with how um, Luke, he is able to come to grips with his own shameful characteristics in that he is able to integrate both the anger that Bob has and the, the love that Sally has. And they become like these two opposites that together is encapsulated in him and creates like development, creates a whole in some way. Mm-hmm. That they become they become two figures that for me represent good and bad. And Luke is perhaps like the capsule who is able to contain both of these aspects within himself, coming to terms with his own darkness and his own like um horrible actions in the vietnam war but able to use those for a greater good to move forward and use that experience as strength
1: well i mean i think that the scene that really gets that is that final um monologue yes. that he has when he's at that he's obviously a kind of a debate and you have that and i mean you know just to sort of give context john Voigt would win the oscar this year over robert de niro in the deer hunter Mm. Which, I mean, you know, two pretty great, I mean, possibly outside a taxi driver, De Niro is best. And I think, I mean, as I understand, I think John Foyt had a great deal of, um, he was very unsure whether or not to actually take the role because he didn't even know if he was a good enough actor to do mm-hmm. it. Mm. And there's that bit at the end where he starts giving, where he's giving that talk and fucking hell, I mean, I believe yeah. Just everything about it, and the camera just sort of, kind of remains sort of sort of medium close up. I think it is. Yeah, you can see just the intensity behind it, and those words that he's saying, and obviously sort of intercutting with those bodies coming back on the plane. Mm. And it's a, I, I totally <clears throat> got that. That that sort of re, that anger that was there at the start of the film, that didn't really know where it was going, mm. is now really channeled into this yeah. central place, which is these young men, and it's saying, you know, don't. Well, I mean, it, it, it's very obvious. Ashby makes it very obvious what he's saying. It's like, don't be like that guy over there in that uniform or you're going to end up like these guys coming back. And, it's, yeah, it, it's it's his anger is at possibly at those kids and what they're thinking in terms mm. of, oh, you know, he, I think he says it. You know, I thought I, I thought it'd be great to sign up and go and do my bit and, you know, look at me now. And, yeah, I mean, that, it's, it's, you know, goosebumps time, I mm. think, for me, that scene.
0: Or at least he's saying, like, you better be fucking aware of what's yeah. going to happen to you if you go to war because this is what happens when you go to war. And you better yeah. be aware of it because the, the lies that they are selling you, that's not the truth.
1: Yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, it's a stunning. It's again, I've never seen John Voigt that good in anything.
0: No. I mean, I, never... It's an amazing scene, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it it's like I said. I mean, I, I, yeah, you know, it, it gives you goosebumps watching it. And again, I think it's the sort of the distillation of this film. Like, it isn't being subtle. This isn't a kind of. It, it seems strange to call a film that's about trying to convince young men not to go and get killed as propaganda, but it is a certain ideological standpoint it's coming from. Mm. It goes in the same line as things like you know, all quiet <clears throat> on the Western Front and films like that, and especially i was thinking of the um, the William Wyler film, The Best Days of Our Lives, which is one of the I think one of the greatest films ever made about the experience of you know young men coming back from World War II. And obviously it's slightly different to that, but it, it feels like everything about this film, I think comes out in that scene mm. and just the sort of the intensity of it. And this, this, in another film, in an action film, it'd be a set piece. Yeah. It'd be the big moment at the end. And I think for this, it, I mean, it obviously comes out in this monologue, but it's everything I think about coming home, about those characters, that's coming out, and I, I would say that this is one of the things I didn't really sit well with me was, I felt that the Bruce Dern characters end doesn't wasn't quite, didn't quite work for me, that mm-hmm. whole sequence of him and, and what actually happens to him, because I felt in a way it kind of I know this, everything kind of can't have a happy ending, but I, I, I just felt it it was a little bit too... I felt like he was a character that... who, by going out like that, it can kind of leave the door open for... Yeah. You know, you can, you can go away perhaps thinking, well, you know, Sally and Luke will kind of stay together because this guy's out the way now. I think it would have been better if he hadn't just sort of swam out into the sea like that. I am mean, we're assuming that he's going off to commit suicide. I think the film would have been far more effective if Sally and... Bob and the Bruce Dern character had stayed together at the end. I think that would have been more. I think that had more impact
0: for me. So mm. it feels a bit dismissive of his character. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like well, what? It's like. It's almost like he's come back and they don't know what to do with him so we just mm-hmm. have him sort of go and it feels like a cheap attempt at kind of trying to get some tragedy going where I think the tragedy of him all comes out in that scene where he stood there with that kind of half-made gun mm-hmm. shouting in the thing I think that's a tragic scene I don't think he needed to go I think it's slightly it's a slight blot on the film for me
0: yeah I would agree I would agree Um but I think overall uh, Hal Ashby he he deals with such dense and difficult themes, and he is really trying to provoke us. I mean, that is the aim of the film, but it never feels like it's an attack towards the viewer.
1: And I mean, I guess my, my sort of thing is about this is, I mean, it's like a two-hour film. It's quite a heavy subject. Were you ever bored by it?
0: Uh, not the second time around, I have to be honest. Uh, I wanted to talk more about my my like schizophrenic viewing <laughs> experience of this film uh, from the first to the second time but uh, I want to cover that a bit later but uh, just as uh, how it deals with the themes how it approaches the film um, and how it manages to keep my interest throughout without me ever feeling like there are any unnecessary padding scenes I feel like every everything is it follows very very natural Progression.
1: But, I mean, I, I first saw it um, <clears throat> years ago. And I remember it was kind of it was one of those films where I, I'd never seen it, but I knew about it and it came on one night and I was like five minutes into it. And I just sat down and I remember sort of thinking at the end of it, well, that was a quick two hours. I was never, ever not interested or invested in it, mm. um, which for a film like this, I think is, for me anyway, I think that's a, a, a really good sign.
0: Yeah. And one another thing that I'm really impressed with is how he... Even though we are well aware of um, the internal struggles in the US at this time, the political struggle, he never really attempts to address this in, in other than like slight comments in the background. Or I think at one point um, there's a character who asks Luke, did you hear about the, the Kennedy assassination? And then mm. he just cuts away. I mean, there is there is a feeling that... Something is going on in society, but that is not necessarily what he wants to deal with. And I'm really impressed with how he he manages to, like, drop a few hints here and there because it is such an important aspect of the film, but that is not necessarily the story he wants to tell. He could have easily made it more of a message film.
1: He keeps it within a very small world. Yeah you can you can think about those bigger elements Mm. after the fact you're not distracted by them you're not like going oh so he goes oh and such a body's just been assassinated and yada 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 and Mm -hmm. this is happening i mean there's just yeah like I said there's the odd reference to it for sure but no i mean it for me that's that's why it works so well because you're not distracted by anything else other than the fact just focusing on these two on these on these people
0: Mm -hmm. and i feel like Perhaps it is a commentary in, in itself of how the U.S. dealt with the war, with aiming to focus everything on the external um, the external enemy. Uh, it focuses everything on Vietnam, and it doesn't really pay attention to the internal struggle. It needs it needs the enemy to be there in to in, or to how do you say um, to join the country uh, towards an external enemy, and I feel like perhaps that is some of which um what is going on in the film in that he there is a like a juxtaposition between um between the US and the internal um and it doesn't really attempt to until the end it doesn't really attempt to deal with the internal struggle so the, f- the first time i watched this and uh, this is the first time i've i've seen the film for this um uh, this recording and the first time i watched it i immediately like after the the opening scene where they are having this uh really heated discussion about do we justify the war how how can we deal with the war and then the music kicks in and I, i don't i didn't write down like what the particular songs were for the different scenes but throughout the film i felt like each and every song commented on what was going on at that point in time in the film and it became such a recurring um, recurring thing that went on throughout the movie that it took me out of the out of the film every time a new song came on because it was so on the nose the words that were expressed (laughs) in the film and it, it felt it felt so unnecessary because i felt like i understand what's going on in the film anyways i don't need a song um, to tell me what the context or or the subtext of the film is
1: yeah I mean whenever you think about Vietnam well it, it comes it's, it's it's a war that comes with a soundtrack mm-hmm. um, and, and I think uh, you can't help not do it and I think again we're go back to like Forrest Gump and things like that and uh, even the Ken Burns Vietnam series that's you know it has like this kind of rock soundtrack to it yeah. and the thing I found about the music was it it made each scene sometimes feel like a music video. <laughs> I mean, the it, scene
0: where Sally and Vi, they go to the uh, the discotheque because they want to, uh, like, break free and act out, mm-hmm. and then the song Born to be Wild <laughs> is played. Yeah,
1: and again, and I mean, you cannot play that song and not have people think about Easy Rider. Exactly. <laughs> you, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 you know, it's it's so intrinsically linked with that film. And, but I mean, you, you've got sort of like the Stones playing and all that kind of How thing.
0: How did he afford every single one of these songs? Fuck
1: knows. I mean, I, that's another thing I was thinking about. It's like, can you imagine the soundtrack? It'd be like a quadruple fold <laughs> v- vinyl album. But I think it's being done for the film's potential audience because mm-hmm. i think it's being done you know like this is the the sound this is the music you would have been listening to then mm-hmm. here it is again you know here's this sort of repackaged memory from 1968 because even even if you don't you know you always know where you are when you've listened to a music i mean i was listening to a song the other day and i i remember listening to it the the day I was leading primary school on my Walkman you know and it's like I think that's what they're doing I think Mm -hmm. they're trying to kind of like it's like a nostalgia thing where they're saying hey you know remember this music from then you remember when Easy Rider came out and it was all about breaking free and you know letting your hair down and it's almost in an ironic sense that I think it's being used because obviously you have that spectacularly awkward scene afterwards where they go back to the hotel and she's dancing for those two guys and they're just like, oh, fucking hell, you know, she's (laughs) she's out of it. It's a really awkward moment, but I I, I think that the music in the film, yeah, sometimes I was like, Christ almighty, you know, like a a scene would go on for like a minute, it felt like sometimes, Mm -hmm. just so the song could play out. And there was like lots of kind of like longing looks back and forward. Dare I say it, it almost made the film seem very dated Mm -hmm. a lot of the time for me. And, but I also thought it was kind of like a, it was also like i said the music was so reflective of the emotions of what going on was on in the scene Mm. it almost felt like kind of quite a nice experiment i suppose at times in kind of synergy and using image and sound to sort of you know say this is what these people are thinking now here's a song (laughs) that that mirrors exactly what's going on just in case and also it's it's where a score would normally go wouldn't it Mm. There, there is no sort of I, i don't i don't i can't recall it having an original score. I don't I don't know. I, I might be wrong on that, but all I seem to remember is the pop music anyway.
0: Mm. I mean, I think we're in the minority of how we feel about the, the soundtrack from most of the reviews and uh, I, I think I read an article as well that hailed the soundtrack and mm. thought it was the greatest thing about the movie, but I...
1: If, I wonder how many times it had been done up until that. Hmm. Like, you know, to go for a straight rock and roll pop music. Mm-hmm. Sound, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't... I I mean, the the
0: final song that is playing when Bruce Dern walks into the water is... It is the film in in and of itself. I mean, The Lone Soldier returning from war, I think. The song says that or something. So it is, like, very... uh, It is For me, it comes across as shorthand for what these actors are already beautifully portraying through through the film, so.
1: Yeah, it's very on the nose. I mean, it's yeah. literally like having, having a thing <coughs> saying, you should feel like this now. Here's a sort, you know, yeah. It, it, but I mean, does it, I mean, it, it, yeah, I guess it worked because I mean, I, I, still, I it didn't take me out of the film enough to not mm. be emotionally attached to it. Mm.
0: A second time around, I was able to like really go with it um, and go with it in terms of trying to just not really pay attention to the music and just pay attention to what the actors were doing, what the film is doing. Um, but if I, I had to like work to not really uh, <laughs> listen to the words of the songs that were playing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, it is what it is. I yeah. mean, I, I'd like to say, I think it dates the film a yeah. little bit to be brutally honest with you.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen that? I think, uh, last year there was a documentary, uh, made on Hal Ashby. Uh, Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that, no. Okay. Uh, I think I I just read an interview with Amy Scott, the director. She um, did an interview on Criterion, uh, but I haven't seen the doc. It seemed really interesting. Dealt with um, a lot of his character, how he he was as a private person and just how um, including and humane he was as a person. Mm. Um, But uh, I really want to check it out, so...
1: No, I definitely look at that.
0: Um, I also read that he was set to direct Tootsie in the eighties. Uh, yes, I which heard Would that have been as interesting. Well.
1: Yeah, I, it's like I, I mean, but, but the thing is, when I watch Tootsie and think about that, I could I, I can see him. I could see him doing it. Yeah. I think yeah, because Tootsie has a lot of uh, <laughs> pretty awful musical montage. <laughs> it, despite the fact that I do love Tootsie. But um, yeah, I, I, I could I could see him. I could, I could definitely see him as a director. Like, his sensibilities coming across well in that. Mm.
0: Another thing that I, I really don't have a like a clear idea of my thoughts on this but i'm I'm wondering like what is what is the meaning of coming home for hal Ashby personally like what is he dealing with through this film and i'm I kept thinking about like in Harold and Maud as well, these are these outside characters who they are able to find each other on the outside of society um mm. It feels like they, in some sort, he, he's dealing with being on the outside of society and attempting to <clears throat> have a connection with someone or feeling, yeah, I don't know.
1: In a way, I think he's, he's, he's quite a positive um, champion of the human spirit. Yeah. In a way, in a, in, you know, through a... F- obviously, kind of like, there is, a, there is a tragedies in his films, but, I, I yeah, I, I think from, like, Harold and Maud, I mean, that, that's kind of fucking selling that a love story like that <laughs> i mean it's crazy but he, yeah like he, he does manage to kind of connect he, he finds a way for the for the lonely and the lost to me and i think that's a tremendously mm. positive kind of message to have in his films
0: mm. and from what i could understand he himself was <clears throat> someone who was a bit on the outside and was quite lonely and perhaps this is one way of him like dealing with that aspect of himself—the longing for someone. Uh, it was just uh, just something. I haven't really dug deep into that research, but yeah. I couldn't help but uh, go into those thoughts as I was watching the film and thinking about him. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I, from what I can make out, as well, he had a bit of a shitty childhood as well. Yeah. It seems to be quite fraught. So, yeah, definitely, it's a, it's an interesting one.
0: Um, I think we've covered most of what I had. Yeah. So um, as the, the extras for the film, I didn't watch the, the, the commentaries. So I didn't have time for that. But I did watch the two documentaries, which uh, were quite, um, especially the ones with uh, the, the actors reflecting back on making this film and how, uh, especially watching John Void talk about his approach to the characters, really, really quite interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm I mean, nice to watch one of the commentaries, the one with the John Voight um, commentary, which I really enjoy. I, I've got back into watching comment, uh, doing commentaries lately, actually. Mm. and I've I, I really enjoyed them. Yeah, I, I think the features on this were, were great. Um, it does suffer from one thing, which is kind of like John Voight's kind of a douchebag now, <laughs> and it has that kind of taint for me sometimes. It's like James Woods. Mm. I, I sort of think James Woods is an asshole now. big time more than ever and it's sort of it it does slightly ever so slightly i I find it hard to disassociate um reality and fiction sometimes when Mm -hmm. it comes to these and uh yeah as much as i do like john fight i mean it's a brilliant um uh it's a brilliant performance, but like, you know, he recently came out and I think he said something like, oh, you know, racism was solved long ago. It's like, oh, shut up, John. I mean, I really, it's like, you know, uh, it's like, don't just, 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 just stop. Just just, don't speak anymore. (laughs) And it's like, when I was going back into it, it's like, I thought, you know, know, that's someone who goes through a journey in this film and has gone through uh, not so much, you know, I think it's wrong to sort of say that, you know, he's the worst person ever, but I sort of look at him now thinking, oh, Mm. yeah just uh yeah keep your trap shut, on
0: yeah i mean it's the age-old like debate about do do the performances of these directors or actors really diminish the, the value when we yeah. realize and who they are as a private person
1: yeah and you've got someone who the other day i was in, in involved in a quite heated discussion about my love of chinatown <laughs> and i was being lectured as to why i shouldn't like chinatown so yeah. <laughs> i think pretty much roman polanski's probably worse than John Voigt for just saying some stupid shit but yeah, yeah it it's, it's that it's that it is that one isn't it where you know anyone it, it, like i said it it's it's an age old debate and i think sometimes it, it's you're better off just completely ignoring it but i'm still going to come back to that i find it impossible to watch james wood's films mm. without kind of going oh god i can't <laughs> stand you but no overall i thought it um no package wise it was absolutely brilliant this film mm-hmm. Um certainly like yeah in terms of all the extras and all that kind of thing i really enjoyed it and it looked great as well
0: yeah absolutely okay i think we should uh, wrap things up yep um do you have any like updates uh, regarding your own podcast
1: yes i just put an episode out on, <coughs> on <Peter> and <Strittman, coughs> sorry. Uh, um, sorry i just put an episode out on the peter stritten film in fabric and there'll be another one coming out very soon on don't Look now sorry. excellent
0: and uh, where can they find your podcast
1: uh we're on the 24 <laughs> framescast.blogspot.com
0: <clears throat> right and you can find us at moccast.blogspot.com you can email us at mustofcinemacast@gmail.com at gmail.com or find us on twitter or instagram or facebook or any of those uh, the social medias uh, so thank you tom for joining me cheers matey and thank you listener for tuning in and until next time